You can't start a business unless you find a problem that's big enough to be solved. Just the idea of owning my own business really got me recharged. I think you need that enthusiasm to put in the work that you need to put in to survive. You just gotta be confident that if you put in the work and put in the effort, the results will come. It's important to share that it's not all cake and ice cream. You're fighting through this pain, but you know that eventually the pain's gonna go away. You're gonna have built the skills that you need to get to that next level, and it's gonna make that next level feel that much better. You gotta go into it with positive intentions, but you're gonna have bumps along the way. And I think that's where the real champions are made, are the people that take the bumps, keep moving forward, and just keep focusing on the positive. Josh Goodman has experienced an incredible roller coaster ride in his entrepreneurial journey. After a few years with Cutco Vector, Josh spent some time working for others, but his experiences in those jobs rekindled the passion for entrepreneurship that he first felt with Cutco. His discovery of a problem big enough to be solved came through his own personal experience, so he has sincere conviction in what he is building. Though the path has been far from easy, Josh is now experiencing great success and has so much to share about the entrepreneurial journey. What follows is an authentic and genuine account of the real life experiences of building a business from scratch from a successful founder and CEO, Josh Goodman. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Josh Goodman. If you're a part of the Cutco Vector organization, you're probably wondering right off the bat, wait a minute, is this guy related to Bruce Goodman? No, he is not. Josh did work with Cutco Vector starting back in 2001 in Virginia, starting with Sam Mickle. He graduated from college and worked closely with Rich Plaskin for a while and then became a district manager in Maryland where he worked with Jeff Gamboa. So his Cutco bloodlines are pretty awesome. Ultimately, Josh moved on from the company to pursue other interests. We'll talk a lot about his path today, all of which led to him starting his own company about eight years ago. The company is called Pour My Beer. If you've ever been to one of those places where there are a lot of taps on the wall and you can self-pour your own drink and pay by the ounce, that is the technology that Josh is developing and selling over the past five years or so. Josh's business has been doubling in size year over year. They have installed over 7,000 self-pour taps in 270 locations throughout 23 countries and succeeded to a point now where a division of Coca-Cola has invested in the company as a stakeholder and partner in expanding the business. It has definitely not been easy. Josh has had an amazing ride of struggles mixed with successes and has a lot to share with the audience. And so, Josh Goodman, welcome and thanks for being part of the podcast. Dan, thank you. I, uh, I I listen to it all the time and I love the content and I hope I can provide some value to the to listeners. I know you can and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Why don't we uh, jump in and start with how you got started selling Cutco? Oh man, it's uh, it seems like yesterday, honestly. And it, I'm sure my employees and you know, my team, teammates, uh, they, they, they probably heard more Cutco stories than they'd care to reference. But Mine actually started as an ultimatum. I came home from summer break and my dad was like, look, you either have to start uh, with us next week. And my dad owned a carpet company and that required ripping up carpet out of really nasty homes that needed to get re renovated. 
And after doing that for a few summers, I realized I did not want to do that anymore. I'd also done other jobs like, you know, bartend and, you know, wait tables. We called them jobby jobs back in the day. So uh, I was like, you know, I got to get some real experience. So he gave me one week to find a job. Uh, Otherwise, I had to show up and rip up carpet. So I I applied Mm -hmm. from, you know, from calling in, went for the interview. Sam, you know, crushed the interview process. And uh, I was... Like I literally thought I won the lottery when he he said, "Hey, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna offer you a position here to start with training." And you know, I went home fired up. I mean, I, I was like, "I'm gonna make so much money this summer. This is gonna be the best summer of my life." And my mom was like, "You want to sell knives?" <laughs> and I was, you know, it's like you're so excited. You're just like you're on this this whole other level. But I was like, "Yeah," and I'm gonna sell a lot of them, and it's gonna be great experience. And it was taught in schools, and I'm just regurgitating everything I can from the interview. And uh, so, yeah, started out that summer, had a, had a decent, fast start. Obviously, having an athletic background, I, I was able to reach out to a lot of friends and, and people that I started off right away. And yeah, that first summer, really, that was my first exposure to doing anything where you could make money based off of your performance versus just showing up and, you know, clocking in a few hours here and there. So that, I guess that was the beginning of the journey. Yeah, um, that's cool. That's cool. And you were in between your junior and senior years of college at this time, right? Yeah, it was getting down to crunch time. You know, I thought I was going to probably have a chance at playing in the NFL. I had a really good college career, Division II, Shippensburg University, set the school record in tackles. And I was like, I'm going to try to make it pro. And I, last game of my senior year, I tore my ACL. Uh, I was always, it's always a fun experience, but I had Cutco. You know, I was like, I'm still doing the branch manager training. I got, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that. And, you know, just I really saw that as a more long term play. Uh, you know, uh, my, my knee, that was the second or third knee injury it had. So, you know, I, was, I wasn't as confident that my knee would, would make it through the long haul. But yeah, you know, went full-fledged into uh, branch training. I was going to the office up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the time and, and getting the training necessary. I'd come home for break and go, you know, to the division training offices and, uh, you know, practicing interviews. It was, you know, it, it was a busy time. Yeah, I bet. And so you graduated from college a year later and as your first sort of stepping stone into being a manager, you worked directly with with Rich Plaskin. Yeah, I mean you're you're no stranger to to the uh, Fairfax office. I mean it was right. always Fairfax and San Jose neck and neck every every week all summer. And you know that summer, I remember specifically, Rich said, you know we're going to do eight hundred thousand dollars this summer. And uh, I mean that's a lot of lot of knives. <laughs> so uh, you know I was excited to be a part of a, a team that had 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 proven success and. You know, someone like Rich, obviously, uh, who who groomed and, and and grown so many great people in the in the business already. I was really excited at the opportunity to live in Fairfax, work in Fairfax, and be a part of a winning team. So yeah, I was. I remember I packed up my Bronco uh, and I threw anything that didn't fit in the Bronco in a dumpster, and I went to a townhome that I'd found in the Penny Saver that I could rent a room from, and. I showed up, you know, right literally from graduation. Two days later, I was in the pilot office, you know setting up interviews and getting ready to get things going. Awesome. Awesome. What, what were some of the lessons that you learned from either your sales rep days or from that, that time working closely with Rich? I guess you could say I drank a lot of the Kool-Aid, but I, I'm very proud of the Kool-Aid that I drank in the sense that, you know, there's this, when you listen to what your managers tell you, like, you know, the closing or how you present the product and your enthusiasm and building rapport, like, it, for me, it was such an empowering feeling to actually uh, to get that feedback by customers buying. I think everyone has a little bit of skepticism, no matter how excited you are coming out of the interview and going through training and getting your fast start. But once you start selling the product to people, or maybe you know you're not the closest with, and you're like, "Wow, this person just spent eight hundred dollars!" Like, either either the product is way better than I even can imagine, or I'm a pretty good salesperson, or it's a combination of the two. And it just, that that's really, it, it just kind of fed, it was momentum, you know, but getting that positive feedback and, and, and just letting the man, you know, letting the manager kind of mold you a little bit, you know, like say, all right, you're doing this well, you, you know, try this next time or, you know, talk to this, uh, this more senior rep and, and kind of get some feedback from them. But I mean, as you know, it's like that, it's the gel that forms in an office early on, uh, you know, your key staff and the people that really, you know, that, that you're, that's who kind of helps you grow. It's, uh, you know, it's the manager provides the outlet for the team to grow and has, you know, there's, there's key staff kind of help you uh, when you hit the little tough spots. Yeah. Great points right there. 
you referenced that you were really great playing football. I've had a chance to work with a number of college athletes over the years, and I've always found that there's an extra special trait that college athletes bring to the table when they work at a job like this. Uh, do you find that uh, those experiences in football help you to succeed here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the grit factor. You know, uh, it's it's the conditioning. So you, you get used to doing the reps because in sports, you know that you know, more reps equate to better performance. And I've always liked that idea like of, you know, when, when you're studying for a big test, if you've done the work, if, you, if you've actually put in the effort prior to the test, the test isn't that hard. You know, and that's, it, there's so many similarities with, you know, with sports, you, you show up to practice and you, you put 100% and you don't just barely make it through practice. And the result is when you show up for the game day, you, you perform, you're able to actually have fun. And very similar to the, the rep experiences, you put in the work during the phone time, you know, showing up for the demo, that's, man, that's like a party. You know, you're, you're cutting stuff, you're having a good time, you're, you're just, you know, you're really, it's a very relaxed environment because you put the work in so you can have fun. I love the example you gave of conditioning from sports, because when you think about the conditioning element of being, you know, on a sports team, that part is not always fun. In fact, that part sucks a lot of times. It's hard and you don't want to do it. But you realize later when you're in the game how valuable that conditioning was and how important it was that you went through that process to prepare yourself for success. I think a lot of people, you know, not just nowadays, but it's really always been this way ever since I was a manager. There's a lot of people that just think success is going to come easy. They see the people who are doing well and they make it, a lot of them make it look easy and they think, well, I'm one of those kinds of people and I'm just going to succeed because of who I am. Uh, and maybe they were somebody who did really well academically because they were just really smart. They didn't have to work that hard. But most of life is not like that. Most of life takes a lot of hard work, a lot of conditioning, a lot of effort in order to be able to put yourself in position to succeed. And I really appreciate that you you know shared that element to, that you brought from sports over to Cutco. Yeah, you know, just... Uh... John Berghoff, who you're no uh, stranger to, yeah, just listening to him and hearing how he would prepare for a big week really just changed my mindset. You know, I realized that nothing was going to stop him from achieving his goal. Whereas like, you know, someone from the other side of the country, my initial view of that was like, oh, well, he's probably just selling to rich people. That's, that's not, you know, there's not an equal comparison, but no, like he's, he's putting in, if he's going to, if he's got to ha have a 20 K push, He's going to do enough demos to, do, to to have a fifty or, 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 or you know a fifty k push or whatever. He's he's over uh, committed to some degree, if that's a word. Where he where it's it's failure's not an option, but he's also he, if the tire goes flat, he's going to get there. It's tough because as a salesperson, you always compare yourself to other salespeople. The biggest competitor you have is yourself, you know. And that's it's good to look at other people to see, you know, I want to I want to reach that, but you just got to be confident that if you put in the work and put in the effort, the results will come. They might not come today or tomorrow, but they will come, you know, within a, you know, a few weeks, at least you'll start feeling some of that or seeing some of the, the changes that are coming from the, that work you're putting in. Yeah. Well, that certainly applies in a lot more than just Cutco for sure. Tell us a little bit about the influence of uh, Rich Plaskin and Jeff Gamboa in your career and in your life. Well, if, if you're fortunate enough to get to spend any time with either of those two gentlemen, uh, just great people. You know, and that's one of the things I've always said is like, I was so lucky and fortunate to have uh, mentors at that age, you know, I was 23 at the time, 23, 24, that, that were just legitimately all around good people. They walked the walk. So there was a common theme of, of, of caring, you know, they wanted to see you do well. And also when things were tough, you know, they, they were there, but they weren't there to like, you know, I guess, they weren't there necessarily to, to fix it for you. They were there to, to, to let you kind of experience the pain of, of, of growing and support you, but not do it for you, if that makes any sense. There's a lot of things that people don't see that assistant managers and sales managers are doing while, you know, to allow rich to be rich. I mean, you know, great recruiter, great public speaker, great motivator, but we were kind of the, the, uh, the, the people behind the scenes kind of doing a lot of the things that had to be done. It was exciting. And I have very fond memories of, of that summer and, and the, the, the friendships that we made. I mean, I, I literally have friends right now that, that I just talk to on a daily basis from that summer that have gone on to be successful in business as well. So it's, it's funny when you think about all these people you're still connected to, that, that says something about the bond that's created over just you know a summer job. 
I had a long conversation with Sam about that recently where, you know, he said he had reps that came in that weren't the top salespeople, but just to see them go from a shy, reserved, kind of scared newbie to by the end of the summer, they're selling homemakers and, you know, they're interacting with the team. They're up in front of the group, given, given, uh, you know, uh, talks at sales meetings, just seeing someone personally grow. It's, you know, it's such a rewarding feeling. I remember one of the reps in the interview, he was like, uh, Hey, I was one of the assistant managers. So I was just, you know, building some conversation with him. And I was like, so do you have any, you know, sales experience? He was like, yeah, but I don't know if I should put it on the application. And I was like, well, yeah, any, any sales experience is good experience. He was like, well, you know, it wasn't legal. <laughs> like, it might be now. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would be in California and Illinois now. But, you know, he, uh, I mean, he ended up, you know, selling like 15 or 20K in his fast start and went on to be one of the top earners that summer in the, in the office. And it, it's just really cool to see how the success at Cutco and Vector just, it's, there's a, it's a linear correlation. If you're successful and you put the time in there, you're going to go on and do anything successfully. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate hearing that. I love how you said that uh, Rich and Jeff let you experience the pain of growing from time to time. I think that's a key element of, of, of helping to develop anyone, whether it's in business or as a parent, right? I mean, if you try to take that away from someone, they don't learn as much as when they actually go through that and like have that experience to register in their mind, you know, what they might have done wrong or what they could do better. And that's where the real learning comes from is that is through that actual experience. So that was cool that you mentioned that. And, and Jeff, uh, you know, it was tough because, you know, I went from being uh, in Rich's office, but then, you know, my, my, my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time lived in Maryland. And so I was like, I, you know, I kind of want to be near her. I don't want to go down to like Southern Virginia. And then she's in Maryland. Like that's not going to work out. So it was really big of, of, uh, you know, Rich trained me, you know, groomed me, and then he basically handed me over to Jeff Gamboa uh, to run a, a district in his division, which says a lot about Rich, you know, A, and you know, Jeff being willing to kind of accept me into their their DC Metro family. And, you know, it, Jeff's just an extremely dynamic person. I've worked with a lot of people. That guy can take over a room anywhere with anyone in it. He's just got such a great magnetic personality. Yeah, I've just got so many great memories of the division meetings we'd have. Also, the uh, you know just the one on ones, or we you know as as a division team, the district managers and the division manager, we go out and have you know have a few drinks to celebrate. You know, we went to Portofino Bay the one year we uh, won the trip there, and just got a, a lot of one on one time with the with Jeff and, and the other management team that we had. Yeah, cool. Uh, love hearing all that stuff, Josh. Real nice. So, tell us a little bit about your career journey after Cutco. Yeah, so you know, I uh, I ran a district in Prince George's County, and uh, you know, I, I was, I was, I wanted to take, sound like LeBron, I wanted to take my talents to South Beach, but instead of South Beach, I, I was, you know, I was curious about other industries because I'd really, out of college, all I'd ever done was, was Cutco and, and management. And I, you know, I, I wanted to kind of test the waters with, with some other, uh, other careers. So right after that, I got into working with AT&T Wireless uh, at the time. This is, this is going to date me, but uh, Blackberries were just coming out. They were like the thing. So, I was a business to business account manager and I sold blackberries to like law offices and different, you know, different uh, businesses really wouldn't feel that. That was about a, a year. And uh, it's funny. One of my good friends uh, at the time, he was a system division manager, Kevin Fishkind. He said, he was like, you're collecting more business cards than anybody I know. You had to hit a quota every month. And I remember I went on my honeymoon and I missed my quota. And then they were like, uh, you're on performance improvement until you improve. And then we're going to, you know, we have to cut you loose. And I just remember thinking, wow, I hit my quota like, you know, every month for the last like seven months, I miss it one month and they basically put me on notice. So I was like, I don't want to work at a place like that. That's not, it's not fun. And then I, I went to another career where I was in IT staffing for about, I stuck with that one for about six years. But so that was, uh, you know, that was, I'd say mid to late twenties um, when I was doing that. And that was actually, I, I enjoyed that. I got to work one-on-one with the the CEO of a publicly traded company, and he kind of took me under his wing. And for those of you not familiar with IT staffing, it was uh, you basically get a percentage of the person's salary for finding the right person. So I was on the, the front end of business development. So it was great. I was making good money, golfing three days a week. Uh, I was in good physical, you know, shape. But but I I just you know it, it was it wasn't something where I woke up and I was like this is awesome. Like or I'd go to a party and be like 
I do IT staffing and, you know, I can't really make this sound any better than that. You know, um, <laughs> towards the end of my career there, uh, I had brought in a pretty large customer. So it was, you know, one of the things that I was, I learned from Cutco was, you know, find people that are doing better than you and learn from them. And I remember going to the, uh, the owner of the company and I said, Hey, I want to be the number one salesperson in the company. What are the activities I should be doing on a daily basis? And he was like, well, first you got to find out who's hiring the most contingent labor people. And so I, I, I mapped out Baltimore and had one of those big old school maps, you know, uh, and I'm like circling where all the, 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 the top contingent labor people are. And then he's like, get to know the managers. So I, I got to know the managers. And then I found out that they had an RFP process, which means uh, it's a request for proposal. So a large company that spends five million a year on contingent labor or more, they want to, they don't want to do business with a hundred IT staffing companies. They want to have four companies they work with and they want everyone to compete on why they should work with them. So, you know, I was able to get us to the RFP process. But in doing that, I, I actually went through the HR department where the HR department said, hey, you can't talk to any of our managers. And the CEO of the company that I worked for at the time, was, he said, he's like, forget what she says, go talk to the managers. And I was like, well, <laughs> she, she, she made it very clear that I wasn't allowed to. And he was like, that, you, know, you have to talk to the managers, otherwise you're not going to have a relationship. And so I did what he said, and I, I talked to all the managers. I got the org chart. I was getting all the inside information you know, the rapport building 101, you know, from Cutco. Right. Uh, and then uh, it came down to the time where we actually were at the, at the finish line and the CEO talked to the HR manager at the meeting and he, you know, he did the hard close. He said, Hey, what could you see would prevent us from not being one of the four vendors chosen here? We've, you know, we we're, we're bringing everything to win this business with you. And she said, there's only one reason you wouldn't win this. Uh, and that's if Josh Goodman is the account rep. And he said, really what you know what did he do and she said well i specifically told him not to talk to managers and then he went around me and talked to managers and i know he did apparently he he just threw me directly under the bus he was like oh don't worry josh goodman will never talk to this account and i ended up uh, losing out on you know probably a quarter million in, in commission because of that conversation and so that rubbed me the wrong way i was helpless and that's i remember that you know that moment i was like this doesn't, I don't ever want to have this feeling again. Like I, wow. I'm helpless. That was a tough time in my life, which in comparison, I, it, I feel, I feel wrong saying that was tough. Cause I mean, I was doing well, but I'd lost out on this big deal. Uh, but that's kind of what it, it, it respawned my excitement around, uh, business ownership and entrepreneurship. The, the love that I had when I was with Cutco, I was like, just the idea of, of owning my own business really got me, uh, uh, recharged to some degree. And I didn't know what that business was going to be. At the time, I was just like, I'll just do IT staffing for myself. So I did that for a little bit. And then I had this like crazy idea to do uh, night. It was going to be called night washers. You're going to go wash cars at night, you know, for people. So while they're sleeping, their cars get clean. And that I didn't really put you know, that was born and, and, and died within a few days. And then another the one that was a probably my, one of my bigger fails is my dad being in the carpet business. I was like, I could sell carpet to colleges. You know, when they're moving in, like that's gonna that's a no-brainer. Who who doesn't need a carpet when you're moving into your college dorm? Uh, so I set up, you know, I set up three locations, three colleges to sell the carpet, and I had spent eight thousand dollars in carpets, and I sold the first the first uh, like college for two days of being outside all day. I sold like a thousand dollars of carpet. So I was like, wow, that, I don't know if I'm gonna make it to the last two. And the second one, same thing, probably about a thousand dollars of carpet. And I have these two big rig trucks with all this carpet in it. And I'm like. What am I going to do with all this carpet if I don't sell it? And so the the, the last one was University of Maryland, and I drove. I, I was like, all right, well, this is University of Maryland. They got all, you know, I got the permits, I got everything set up, and it was a monsoon, like absolute downpour. Couldn't see five feet in front of you, downpour. You got to do something with all this carpet, right? So I went to like I Google Map like all around the DC metro area and just started use, doing consignment. So for like. A year and a half after I'd bought the carpet, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got all this carpet on consignment at like five different carpet dealers where they're paying me if they sell it. But that was, I was like, man, I, I got to be a little bit more strategic on, on the next venture I do. And that's, that's what kind of led me to the, you know, I was reading a book about, you know, you can't start a business unless you find a problem that's big enough to be solved. And not that I was spending a lot of time in bars, but at the time I met some friends of mine from college. I went to Shippensburg University. And we met in downtown Baltimore to have some drinks and I could not get a drink. And uh, yeah, I was like, 
guys, this is terrible. We've been here for like 30 minutes. We can't get a drink. And they're like, yeah, this is, let's just go somewhere else. I was like, no, like let's, let's hang out here for a little longer. And so we finally got a drink and, you know, we weren't the only ones that were unhappy. There was probably, you know, dozens, if not a hundred people there that couldn't get a drink. And then I was like, what if I made it so you could pour your own drink? Kind of like pouring your own gas, you know, like we can pump our own gas. Why can't we pour our own beer? And so that was kind of the, that was the aha moon. I left the bar and went home and started, you know, putting a business plan together. And that wow. was in 2008. I love it. I love it. I love, I mean, I love hearing about the struggles and the failures as you described, um, because that's a part of the entrepreneurial journey for a lot of people. It's not always a straight line to success. In fact, it's usually not a straight line to success. And, and I really love how your company, your company name is Pour My Beer. I think a lot of Cutco student reps will uh, love the name of your company. Uh, but I think that, that the organic development of your company, that it came from an experience you had where you saw a problem and you realized, hey, I could solve this problem for these guys. And if I can solve this problem for these guys, I can solve this problem for other places. And that there's uh, basically an unlimited number of places you could solve this problem for. That's a cool, you know, a, a cool beginnings of the company right there. I love how that developed organically. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's funny because when I was with Cutco, my wife was in pharmaceuticals. So she sold drugs and I sold knives. And then uh, you know, she's, she's maintained her career in, in, in that. And now it's, you know, I went from knives to beer. It's funny because the name of the company is Pour My Beer, but I always say we're liquid agnostic. You know, we, we can meter and dispense any product. It can be beer, wine, cocktails, kombucha, cold brew. And that's really kind of, I didn't originally start it that way. I was just trying to solve the itch that I had. I wanted a beer. How could I get a beer? And, you know, it's funny because I came up with the idea and then I built this kind of prototype and put it into a bar and it failed miserably. <laughs> it was a, another failure, but I was like, it kind of worked because I could see like, you know, I, you had to put a key in the side and then the key actually opened it so it could pour a pitcher. And then, you know, when the pitcher was poured, then a, a waiter had to come by and put another key in and turn the key again to let him pour more beer. But that was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, they say your first prototype you should laugh at. You know, otherwise, you took too long to bring it to market. And it was functional, but it was it, it poured more foam than beer. But that kind of led me to, you know, one of the books I had read at the time was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And it talked about, uh, and I'm sure a lot of your audience has read that as well. But it talked about finding someone who is an expert in the field that you want to be an expert in and just, just going and working for them for free. You know, and I'm a pretty personable guy. I, at least I felt like I was. And I went to all the different bars that I knew in, in Baltimore and I said, who, who is the rocket scientist when it comes to draft beer? And unanimously, everyone pointed me to this company out of Annapolis called AC Beverage. And I mean, they have you know, over 10,000 accounts in the DC metro area. So what do I do? I get in a car, I drive down there and I'm always a fan of the in-person, you know? So I just show up and I said, Hey, is Charlie here? And I talked to him and I, I basically said, look, I want to, I want to learn as much as I can in this industry. I don't want a job, but can I come work for you for free? And he was like, that's the first time anyone ever said that. Sure. Wow. <laughs> it's like, so he said, can you meet me? Uh, we have a project, uh, you know, starting tomorrow at 8 PM. You want to meet me and we'll, you know, we'll take you into the, into the project. And I'm thinking, oh, this would be like an hour or two. I'll just get to see how it's done. No, I met him at eight and we worked till uh, nine o'clock the next morning because um, <laughs> they were doing like a, a draft system in DC. And, but I did that. I was like, this is great. I'm learning from like, you know, a rocket scientist of beer, like, and I'm getting it. I'm not, I don't have to pay for it except for with my time. But that led me to like the next part of the chapter where I, you know, he, he because I had some computer knowledge and I was able to do some coding uh, and I was able to get these meters and valves to work. I, I did a project with them in North Carolina, just kind of a one-off, but that was like my first actual check that I got for my company. So pour my beer is the name of the, the, the product for the most part in the company, but innovative tap solutions was the name of the LLC at the time. So that was my first check for like 1500 bucks. I was like, I have a business, like someone paid me for my services and it, you know, maybe this is what I'm going to do. And then that led me to being introduced to a company in Ireland that was already doing self-serve draft beer tables all over Ireland. And it's funny, in, as an entrepreneur, unless you've done silly math, you're not a real entrepreneur. Cause I went, I flew over to Ireland, Ireland, for those of you who don't know, have about, you know, 6 million people, you know, give or take. Uh, and they spent about $3 million on self-serve draft tables to put all over Ireland. 
different setup as far as who's paying for it. Like the bars uh, didn't pay for it there. It was just one big Guinness purchase. They bought them and gave them to all the bars. But my math was, wow, like they did 3 million with 6 million people. We have 300 million people in the United States. We're easily going to do 150 million the first year. So I I remember writing my sister on the plane ride back from, from Ireland. I was like, this is it. I'm going to buy us all houses in in the Caribbean. (laughs) This is, you know, we've hit the jackpot and, but I think you need that enthusiasm to put in the, the work that, that you need to put in to, you know, to survive, you know, because it's, it's, uh, it, it definitely, we did, we did about, uh, if, if we were supposed to do 150 million in 2010, we fell, uh, 149 million, 800,000 short. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that's, that was the, that was, that was the next step. You know, I had to, I went through a lot of pain from 2010 and 2012 working with the Irish company. And then they went bankrupt. You're trying to start a business. You're trying to get off your, off your feet. And then this, you know, you have, you have a negative situation pop up, but we, you know, we worked through it and, you know, it just, it's like, I think at some point you just, you're so determined and you're so callous that it doesn't hurt as much, you know, like, uh, and similar to here in a, a negative, like. I remember I used to like when, when, uh, in the sales trainings that we'd get, they'd say, you know, a no is just one step closer to a yes. So it's like you're fighting through this pain, but you know that eventually the pain's going to go away. You're going to have built the skills that you need to get to that next level. And it's going to make that next level feel that much better. There are just so many unexpected twists in hearing the story of how this all came about for you. How has your specific vision for the company evolved as well? When I first started, it was just like, I really wasn't listening to what the market wanted. I just thought I knew what the market wanted. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to sell thousands of beer tables. Everyone wants a beer table. But you know, after going through the pain of deploying 180 of them throughout the United States, I, I realized that was not a, a very scalable business. And it really wasn't what the market wanted. The market wants choices. People want to sample. So the evolution ended up being uh, taps on the wall. So if you go to any of our locations, you'll open a tab when you walk in and then they give you an RFID card and you can pick from 50 or 100 or 120 is the most we have, but 120 different taps of beer, wine, cocktails, kombucha, cold brew, and you can sample and pay by the ounce. So going back to what I was doing in 2010, I don't want to say it's night and day, but it's it's a far cry from what we were doing back then uh, when it came to like we were offering two products at a table. That's it you know, and there might be one or two tables. So you figure only at most like two groups could utilize the self-poor technology versus now uh, we have places in Massachusetts that are 10,000 square feet that have five employees. You know, if you, if you put that next to a cheesecake factory, they have 50 employees. So it's, you know, just from a, uh, the ability to run in a business more efficiently and never have lines. And I don't, I don't think I'm the most impatient person, but you know, I was probably the first to get an easy pass because I hate waiting in lines. So the fact that our technology kills lines, eliminates lines, it really puts a smile on my face every time I go to a packed location with our technology and they're able to you know, quickly move customers through the process. And you see people kind of communalizing and asking like, oh, did you try this one? Did you try that one? Uh, and just continuing to, you know, like, I guess the big part of that equation that I, I, I kind of skipped over was you know, going through the pain of 2010, 11, 12 with the Irish company. And then I was reselling another company's technology from 2013 to 14. And then uh, one of my best business relationships in my, to, my, to date is a group out of Austria that I, I was doing projects with. Uh, and, you know, the guy didn't have to take a chance on me. I mean, I, he, he really, he just, I flew over to Austria. I was like, look, we've done about 30 projects together. I want to build my own technology. I need to own it. My six-year-old son has to be able to install it. It's got to be very simple. And, you know, he, he, he gave me a number. Uh, it, was, it was less than a million, but more than a half a million. And I said, it might as well be $10 trillion because I don't have any money left. <laughs> so I said, I could give you some money and I could commit to orders and give you equity, but I can't come up with that. And he, he said, okay. And then that was 2015. We launched the product. I got to go over to Austria and celebrate on the Swiss Alps that we were bringing this baby to life. And then in 2000, you know, uh, it was like April, May of 2015, we started deploying it. Some of the other challenges I, I remember, you know, after I finally got our product and I finally got our, our, our business kind of moving in a positive direction in uh, 2015, it was like May. 
and I had sold a project in Massachusetts and I'd sold a project in Seattle, two sides of the country. But, you know, for us, it's whoever's going to give us, if they're buying, I'm flying, you know? So our number one installer, he, uh, he kind of went missing. And this is a person that I'd worked with for the past few years. And I was like, man, like, this isn't like him. He's just not picking up the phone. So I was like, the customer's like, I need this install done. And I was like, all right, uh, I'll get on the plane. And I have two young kids at home. And I was like, I got to go. And so I flew out to Seattle. And then the one in Massachusetts was like, hey, I haven't heard from this guy. We got to install this like tomorrow. I was like, all right, well, I flew from Seattle to, to Massachusetts to that install. It worked itself out. But man, I remember just feeling helpless. I was like, I, I got to do this all on my own again. And, you know, that was 2015. And, and like you said in the intro, I mean, we doubled every year since then uh, in revenue. And, and now we have 20 full-time people uh, that are working with the company. And I think that's the, that's the coolest thing about owning a company is you get to build this team. You know, you get to handpick, is this person someone I want to like work with and someone that I feel like I can help grow as a, as a person professionally and big into, you know, self-improvement. Like it's, you just get to surround yourself with really great people. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of companies, you, you know, sometimes you don't have that freedom. You're, you're stuck working with that person that you kind of wish you didn't have to work with. But this is when you're building it on your own, you get to build that, that dream team. And you've been featured on CNBC now as well. Yeah. T- tell me about that. It's funny. Uh, it, it seems fake when it's happening. You know, like uh, it, it was it was 2016 and they called me up because uh, self-serve beer was at the, the All-Star game. And it wasn't even us. It was another company. But our SEO was so phenomenal. They just assumed it was us and they didn't ask if it was us. But uh, then they said, well, you know, we'd like to have you on the show. Uh, you know, to talk about self-serve beer and how it's impacting the hospitality industry. And so I ended up, you know, flying to New York City and you know, uh, get, it was actually the day of the Brexit, <laughs> which was a pretty uh, crazy day in the news world. But they did a whole news piece on it and uh, they put put me in the green room and I got to talk with Becky Quick. And it, a few days before that, she was interviewing Warren Buffett and, you know, some other pretty well-known people in, in the uh, financial industry. So I was like, wow, like I got to go through the same process as Warren Buffett. That's kind of not bad for a kid from like uh, middle of nowhere, Virginia. Yeah, that's awesome. So cool to hear. What do you feel like young entrepreneurs who are starting their own business, what are some of the pitfalls they can watch out for that you learned about as you were going through this process of growing your company? So one of the superpowers anyone that works for Cutco has is, is they can sell whether you know like you're learning the psychology of selling and you know i don't want to say sales solves all problems but it definitely helps and i could always go back to my core uh you know like whenever things were tough i remember at one point i was 100,000 in debt with my vendors i you know uh, my business partner had, had just had to take another position with another company and i couldn't afford to pay our staff and i was like i, I just felt terrible and uh and i was like i got to sell I was like, I don't know how to do accounting that great. I don't know how to do, you know, website stuff that great, but I can sell. And I was able to, you know, go back to my roots and just, you know, really, you know, think creatively, who could I get in front of? Who's a qualified customer? Who might know a qualified customer? Like, it's just that process your brain goes through when you're, you know, trying to set up appointments. And it's very similar to other, you know, other businesses. I'm really enjoying just hearing the highs and lows of your entrepreneurial journey because it's such a great story and 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 you know there's a lot there's a lot of lows like you've been sharing a lot of like tough times along the path and the good news is it's it's become a great success and you know you as i I referenced earlier now coca-cola has uh invested in your company taken up like a 25 percent stake to help you build this bigger and bigger and bigger and that's a pretty amazing step that just happened right yeah it's a you know, the COVID, when it happened, you know, what industry, it's funny because there's a lot of similarities in how Cutco, uh, you know, responded and how we responded. But I remember thinking, it's funny because you know, once you've got the Cutco blood running through your veins, it's always there. So I was like, man, how is how's Cutco doing this with in-person, you know, in-home meetings? And sure enough, like you guys adapted and crushed it, you know, and, and I, I like to think that we had a very similar experience. Like we you know, we went into to March and we were having our best year ever. Like literally, uh, you know, we had done in the first quarter what we had done in like half the year previously. So we we're like, man, this is going to be a stellar year. We just had our planning meetings in Vegas. 
And we we were right about to close the deal with Coca-Cola. They had, the, the term sheets were going back and forth and it was a done deal. And then COVID hit. And they were like, well, uh, we got to freeze our assets for a little while until we figure out what's going on. But um, mm. And then our customers were like, hey, uh, we can't be open, so we can't pay you. So it's like you, you find out how strong your team is when you have to go through that. that. But we kept a positive you know, spin on it. Our team sucked it up and we, we worked through you know, the lean months, I'd say April and May. And then boom, we, we, had, some, we had some stellar months. We're, we're actually ahead of this year we're, than where we were last year. And then Coca-Cola came back to the table. It's, it's actually Coca-Cola European Partners. They're the biggest bottling uh, division of Coca-Cola. But their, their interest in our company is that they have single-use plastic bottles in Europe are being outlawed uh, as of 2021. So they have to find an alternative way to dispense and manage uh, their products, um, their whole portfolio. So when you take away their not one of their top revenue sources, bottles, and you say, all right, we're going to have to figure out innovative ways to dispense our products, we check all the boxes because uh, it, it can be it's self-poor, self-pay. It can be adapted to their current you know systems over there in Europe where they have like the you know, you walk up and you pour your own. Uh, it, it, that's the big difference in Europe. You don't go in there and pour your own sodas or whatever their drinks are. So you, you have to have the staff do it. But with our technology, we can apply it to it. And then they could use their phone to pay. They could use a, a receipt to pay. There's other ways that they can use it. So, you know, we brought the, you know, we successfully brought them back to the table in like August. The deal closed in September. And you know, it, it, I couldn't ask for a, a better, more strategic partner to grow in the beverage industry than, you know, Coca-Cola European partners. Some of the, the ideas were kind of bouncing around or just having kind of like a, an Uber-esque type uh, bottle where you, you, you own this Coca-Cola bottle that's got either an RFID or QR code on it. And you can go to one of hundreds, if not thousands of locations and just fill up your bottle, your reusable bottle. And then the, the, the retailer actually gets paid for it. But Coca-Cola is the one, you know, kind of pointing in those directions. So they're going to collect the money and then give it to the retailer. But, you know, but we're, we're playing around with some of those concepts because I do believe that single-use plastic bottles being outlawed will be something that will happen in the United States in, in the next few years, um, even though it's happening more aggressively in Europe right now. My partnership with the Austrian company has really uh, been a, a huge asset in, in this growth. Uh, and, and also with the investment from Coca-Cola, because I'm not based in Europe. They are. But we, you know, we have a combined interest in the success of our collective products together. So, you know, it's, it's definitely been a, a wild ride for 2020. Uh, but to your point, yeah, there's there's been a lot of really good highs along the way. I try not to focus too much on the, the, the tough ones, but I think it, it's important to share that it's not all cake and ice cream. You got to go into, you know, into it with positive intentions, but you know, you're going to get, you're going to have bumps along the way. And I think that's where the, the real champions are made is the, are the people that take the bumps, keep moving forward and, and just keep focusing on the positive. Yeah. So I understand you're, you are now writing a book about this whole journey of growing your company. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the book, it's still a working title. The goal is to have it, you know, in, mid part of 2021 but i've it, i wanted to take people through the journey but also uh share like valuable lessons that i learned along the way as well as uh you know pointing out some of the more uh entertaining things that i've been through it's weird kind of thinking of it like a book you know like because it's just it, I, i'm trying to incorporate there's a there's a large section in there about my time with cutco um, because that was such an instrumental part of my my uh, professional life, and I'm extremely grateful for what I learned there. I mean, I I, I was I always tell our salespeople, I'm like, I think anyone that ever works for a company should have worked for Cutco. Like that that should be a prerequisite. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's you know the the book itself, the the, the opening chapter talks about one of my near death experiences, which uh, yeah, when you read it, you'll it'll you'll cringe, but it, yeah, this almost never happened. Uh, you know, right right at the very the, the the beginning of uh, of this really taken off, I almost died. So I want to go into that a little bit more in detail and how that you know how that kind of impacted my perspective on the business and life. And you got uh, people on the edge of their seat right now, Josh. You got to at least give like the one minute version. All right. So uh, I was in Austria, and uh, yeah, we had just kind of seen the first prototype, and I had already collected about fifty or sixty thousand dollars in orders 
for a product that didn't exist. So I was, I was excited and nervous at the same time, but we had just seen it work. So uh, they took me on a trip to the Alps, a place called Flachau, and it's in the western part of Austria. And we went skiing, and then we had a lot of champagne. And then uh, I was like, I'm going to walk back to the hotel. And so the hotel was about, I don't know, a mile away. But if you cut through the field, it looked like it was about a quarter mile away. So I was like, I'm just going to cut through the field. About halfway through the field, I'm, you know, I'd been skiing all day. We'd had some champagne, you know, and I, I was getting tired. But then I realized that I was walking through about five feet of snow. And then I fell into a creek and I got completely drenched. And then I was like, oh, and just climbing out of that made me just so, uh, like I was, I was done. And so I laid down and I actually fell asleep and I don't know what woke me up to this day. Honestly, it's, uh, it's crazy, but I I woke up and I I remember putting snow on my face and I'm like, I'm, if I kept sleeping, I would have definitely not made it. And then waking up the next morning and just being like, I'm never letting anything like that happen again. Uh, I've come too far to, to, to stop now. And that was but yeah, that was, you know, I'll go into more detail in the book, but it was, it was a, it was an aha moment for sure. I mean, I, you know, you put everything into getting a business off the ground and then to almost die in the snow was not a, a good, good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. We all definitely have to be conscious of the decisions that we make from time to time and where they might lead us. So, you know, interesting stuff. What do you feel like you're most excited about now as you look into the future, Josh? Yeah, it's, we're on pace to have, again, our best year ever. But I think, you know, it's when you think about the vivid vision, like, what am I really creating? It's, it's like, there's so much endless opportunity. You know, I'm, I'm being a partner with Coca-Cola now. We're being brought into these, these opportunities with national chains that I would, you know, would have taken me months, if not years to get in front of them. But because of my partnership, it's, it's that whole idea of one plus one equals three. So I'm, I'm excited about what we can do together with a with a company like Coca-Cola and the capital that came with it and the resources. But you know, I'm excited to to, to travel. Like, I mean, it sounds maybe maybe I'm more excited now because I haven't been able to travel as much. But I mean, I, I just love the idea of being able to take this technology and I mean, we have it in, all throughout the United States, but we we've, we've got customers in Brazil and Argentina and Australia and uh, you know Vietnam and what's it called? Uh, Japan and uh, Okinawa. So we're, you know, and we're getting requests from Russia and China. And that's always been something I've, I've wanted to do more of and having children. Uh, It makes it a little bit more difficult, but I want to be able to take our kids places. I want to be able to, you know, spend a week in in Australia with, with, with my kids, my family and, and uh, you know, just experience the world because there's just so many places that I've never been that I'm, I'm excited to go visit. Yeah. Well, it's cool to hear that. It's great to hear your success. It's great to hear that you're growing even through this crazy year of 2020. And just uh, really, this has been a lot of fun just hearing about your entrepreneurial journey, Josh. I've enjoyed talking to you here and, and sharing your story with our audience. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, you know, anything I can do to help. I mean, uh, I feel like I'd like to give more to the Cutco community because if you're putting in the work in Cutco, you're going to do very well in life. And I, I'd love to be there for anyone that has questions. Um, you know, if, if anyone has questions that they would like to get answered. Yeah. What social media do you hang out on? Uh, so I'm on Instagram, self poor Josh. I, uh, you know, pour my beers, our, our company handle. So you can reach out to that one as well. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, Facebook, but that's, you know, more kids picks and things like that. <laughs> uh, but we have a company one for my beer. Uh, and yeah, we're on all the social feeds. Got it. Pour my beer. Awesome. Well, we'll put those links uh, into our show notes. People can check that out at changinglivespodcast.com. I'm grateful for uh, your time and for you sharing all your insights and stories. Thanks. Yeah, hopefully it was entertaining as well as educational. (laughs) All right. Josh Goodman, everyone. You know what I loved about that conversation is it was real. It was real. The real deal, the stories, the highs, the lows, the entire journey from development to execution, the struggles, the challenges to the eventual great success that Josh is having with his company, you know, with locations all across the world and doubling his sales and his revenue year over year the last few years and now partnering with Coca Cola. European partners as a venture partner uh, with his organization. 
Uh, it was just fun to hear all that stuff. Of course, I love the, the aspect of mental, of conditioning that Josh shared at the outset where he was talking about sports and how that related to Vector as well. The time you spend practicing, preparing, and the role that has in your eventual success where he shared that some of his original mentors let him experience the pain of growing. Such a great insight to think about, both as you're going through that, right, as somebody who's learning and growing and experiencing it, but also as a leader helping other people uh, to achieve what they want and making sure that that is a part of the process, that people experience that as they are seeking their success. I really love the organic development of Josh's company, that it came from him being in a bar, trying to get a beer, not being able to get it, having to wait, and realizing, hey, there's an opportunity here. Every day, we are probably seeing opportunities. And it's important to be in tune to recognizing those opportunities as they come about and thinking about how you can help solve those problems. For other people who are around you. And that's the essence of entrepreneurship. And I thought that was a great example. And then uh, I love where Josh said that your Cutco, if you work in Cutco, your superpower is selling. If you've succeeded in Cutco, that is something you know how to do. And you can definitely tell that that aspect of selling, that is a key part of why Josh Goodman has succeeded. He has enthusiasm, he has confidence, he has an ability to articulate what you know his ideas in ways that are convincing to other people. And some of those ideas were grand ideas that didn't pan out, but then others of them have been great ideas that have panned out. But that skill of selling, influencing others, getting people enrolled in a vision, that is a huge part of success in any aspect of business. Hope you enjoyed this one. See you later, everyone. I really love hearing all the entrepreneurial journeys of people with past Cutco experience. One of the company's most legendary alums is Mark Lovis, who has recently launched his own passion project called Good Weather Wine to bring people great natural wines at good prices. All their wines are sugar-free, low in sulfites, and with no additives. If you like wine, but you sometimes get a headache from drinking it, you need to try Good Weather Wine. You can get a monthly shipment of 3, 6, or 12 bottles, and they'll make it super easy by making the selections for you based on your preferences. So it's like having your own wine buyer help you pick. Check out goodweatherwine.com to get started, and if you enter the discount code CLSK when you check out, you'll get free shipping on your order as a thank you from Mark Lovis himself. Visit goodweatherwine.com to get started. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.